This episode is sponsored by Kitty Gonzalez Yoga. I want you to straighten your shoulders, unclench your jaw, and take a deep breath in and a long breath out. Congratulations, you just did some yoga. Yoga is my absolute favorite way to move my body, which is why I am so excited to be partnering with Kitty Gonzalez to feature her classes and her coaching practice on this show. Kitty is a yoga instructor and coach who focuses on creating a supportive community by practicing kindness and curiosity through yoga. Whether you're a pro or a first timer to yoga, all are welcome in Kitty's classes. Now listen to this. Kitty's monthly membership includes one live Zoom 60-minute vinyasa class every Saturday, one new 60- and 20-minute class released every Monday, one 45-minute life coaching session, and a library of yoga classes which you can access anytime, all for the incredible price of $18 a month. Kitty believes in self-expression through movement and creating a trusting and loving relationship with your body. I know through personal experience with Kitty's classes that she is all about celebrating everything your body can do and celebrating its movement. Growing Women listeners can sign up for Kitty's monthly membership and exclusively get 50% off your first month. Just head to www.kittygonzalez.com slash member dash areas dash one or click the link in this episode description to sign up today and get 50% off your first month using the code growing woman. Listen to that inner wisdom inside of you and choose yourself today. Now let's dive into the show. Hello, hello, and welcome to Growing Woman, a podcast all about amplifying and uplifting women's voices and stories. I'm your host, Christina Singh, and I am so, so grateful to have you here for another episode of the show. And this episode is so great, you guys. I am talking with Jenny J. She's the founder of the Double J Collective. And this conversation is really, really gorgeous. I know I say that about every conversation I have, but I was connected with Jenny because if you're a regular listener of this show, um, she came up on the episode with Jasmine Williams. Jasmine and I talked about representation in photography and taking photos of people of color and how important it is to find someone who can do that well. And Jasmine mentioned that she did find someone who did that really well because I asked her about her photos on her website. And Jenny is that person. I am obsessed with Jenny's work. I love Jenny's story. I love the conversation we have around diversity in photography and inclusivity in your content and representation. So enjoy this episode. It is really gorgeous. Um, We have information on how you can find Jenny and the Double J Collective, of which she is the CEO, in the show notes and online. And um, please, please follow along uh, at Amplify Her Media. And if you are interested in joining the Amplify Her Media newsletter, which will be launching in mid-November, which is wild, um, please feel free to click that link in the show notes as well. Would love to have you get information on regular episodes, on new stories, on new happenings, all the things happening. Um, Thank you so much for being here and thank you so much for listening. I also want to mention... If you have not yet, head to Kitty Gonzalez's website and get that monthly membership because the deal that she is offering you guys is absolutely incredible and it's going to be going away soon. So I want to make sure you take advantage of that. Um, If you follow me on Instagram, I have committed to doing 90 days of yoga on my mat and just practicing on my mat and I am on day eight 
it is wild and hard, but so, so great. And um, you can feel free to follow along in my journey. But if you want to join me and practice on your mat regularly, I highly, highly recommend taking Kitty up on that deal that you just heard at the top of the show. But let's get into this conversation with Jenny. Um, I cannot wait for you to hear it. So let's dive in now. Jenny, welcome to Growing Woman. I am so, so thrilled to have you on the show today. I am thrilled to be here. (laughs) Thank you so much for your time today. And I'm so excited to talk to you. We were connected through Jasmine Williams, a past guest of this show. And we were connected because she mentioned you when I was interviewing her. And she and I were talking about representation and how important it is to have representation via photography and video and how she felt it was really, really important to find a woman of color to take her photos and to um, portray her in the best light. Um, And when she said that, I was like, who is this person? I really want to know who this person is. And I asked her to introduce us and here we are. And I am just so thrilled to be talking to you today. Um, I know you are the CEO of the Double J Collective and you um, produce brand photography and videography. I know you have an online course production um, module to your website and to your business. And I know you do storytelling strategy and creation, but what I really want to know is how did you get into all of this and how did this all happen to you? <laughs> um, well, firstly, love Jasmine. Jasmine's <laughs> photos are like one of my favorites. I'm not supposed to have favorites, I feel like, as a photographer, because oh. all your clients should be your favorites. They're like that's stunning. <laughs> I was like, who took your photos? Like they're beautiful. So kudos to you. Gorgeous. Thank you. Um, so how I how I got started is I feel like one of those funny long stories that you don't really realize you're in the middle of it until suddenly you look back and you're like, oh, that's what happened over the last (laughs) 10 years. Um, So I have always been uh, like multi-passionate human being. Um, Since I was a really little kid, like at six years old, I told my mom I wanted to be a writer. At 13, I told my dad I wanted to be a photographer playing around with multimedia was always something I absolutely loved. Um, but the one thing that, um, not obviously, as, as most people will stereotype, if you are South Asian or from a South Asian household, which I am, um, there is there was a little bit of an expectation in terms of what industry and what field I would be in. Um, my mom is really great. She was like, as long as you're happy, that's all that matters. And my dad was like, as long as you make money and the way to make money is to be in medicine or science or engineering, because, you know, that's, that's the equation. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so I was always this creative human being. And then I was also this person that was a very high functioning, high achiever, because I also loved it. I loved reading. I loved books. I loved all of these things. Um, and when I got to the end of my, uh, grade 11 year in high school, I was taking all these science courses, getting ready to potentially do something in the sciences. And I had spent the summer working as an assistant production manager. Um, and I actually got the opportunity to tour, um, with this production team across North America Wow! Um, because I did the event in Toronto and they were like, you're great. You understand this. You'd be amazing to come with us. So they took me with them across North America and I was the assistant to the production manager. And I just realized how much I loved creating. Um, and it started at least like the snowball effect of like little decisions that took me here. Um, so I changed all my courses in grade 12. I decided I was going to go into like film and creative writing. Um, I almost didn't end up like making it to university because of life circumstances. Um, for a period of my last year in high school, I was also unhoused and working a job and trying to make it to high school and keep up my grades. So yeah, so getting to university and getting into that space was like really huge. And then I got there and then I realized that university is not the place for you to learn how to be a creative. And like, I, I love education. I think education is really important. 
in at least the Canadian context, um, college is more practical. Um, so if you're learning uh, like tangible, like how to's uh, for anyone um, who wants to learn the theory and be in like uh, theoretical spaces or cri like critics of yeah, the industry, yeah. university's great, but for practicality, um, maybe not so much. <laughs> um, so I was actually in university um, this is a long story. No, are we, it's are we great. Here for the ride? Yes, I <laughs> love it. Every second in? of it. I'm here for the ride. Um, so I was at the end of my first year um, in the summer. I was like looking for a job, um, wanted to get on a cruise ship, wanted to go somewhere, anywhere. Sorry, what? <laughs> <laughs> cruise ships in a post-secondary world, or, not post-secondary, in a post-COVID world are like yeah. weird to talk about. Oh my God. Uh, yeah. But at the time I was like, I want to like work on a cruise ship. I want to be a server. Like what restaurant can I work at? Like I just didn't want to be where I grew up. You're like, put me on uh, a boat, take me anywhere. Take me anywhere. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but actually, um, I was also only like 19. So I didn't realize you have to be like 21 to work on cruise ships. So I could only Oh, I didn't know that either. Yeah, it's like, it, you have to Makes be able to serve Americans. So it 21 mm -hmm. age. Mm -hmm. But in Canada, you could, I could work for um, the hotels that were owned by the cruise ship company. So like when you went inland where the guests would stay. So anyways, long story, <laughs> I, I found a place like went for it, had a virtual interview um, and got the job. And then after I got the job, I realized it was in the White Horse Yukon, which for context, that's like right next to Alaska. So like 5,000 kilometers wow. away from home. Um, and so I went there for the summer, like first year at university. I was like, take me and my camera that I bought when I was in high school, like earning money from McDonald's and like, let's go and do this. Um, and when I was there in the Yukon, um, I actually had a migraine induced stroke that had the left side of my body um, paralyzed for a while. And like, oh, I was like, oh my God, <laughs> I'm telling you the story is a little oh, bit of this is wild. Wow. Um, yeah. So I, that was something that I navigated when I was there. Um, and so the, at the end of the summer, I came back to university. Um, I did have the ability to walk again by the end of the summer. Um, and I came back and I was like, okay, we think we're invincible and we're not, and we love doing these things. And I'm not going to spend the next three years of my post-secondary education waiting for this to be done for me to begin. Um, so at the uh, beginning of my second year of university, I actually started and opened the Double J Collective and started my business. Wow. And started like doing headshots for students and like small like video cover letters and all of these little things. And I was also working at my university student paper um, where I learned a lot about like multimedia storytelling. So from like documentary film to writing and print to photos to videos. And so by the time I got to my fourth year, um, my business was like in full operation and I had so many client requests that I actually it's like, well, I don't really need to pay for one more year of education um, mm -hmm. because people like go to university or post-secondary to get the education, to get the career. And by the fourth year, like I had already started my career in this space. So, wow, this is so <laughs> fascinating. And thank you for this wonderful story. And, and just like every moment I was like, what? <laughs> um, I am so um, interested in those moments where um, there is a shift, where there's clarity, um, where, you know, and, and this seemed to happen to you at a very young age where you had a health crisis and a scare and there was clarity. Am I right in assuming that that did happen? Like there was, there was clarity that came out of that, or was it the combination of traveling across, you know, the country and, and working somewhere else and, and this health scare? I think it was a combination of like, when I talk about like that last year of high school, just struggling to get through, to get into university. I think a lot of folks who face like marginalized experiences, they, 
have the experience of really just needing to survive. And so that last year of high school and my first whole year of university, all I was doing was surviving. I was mm-hmm. barely treading water as someone who is literally in swimming lessons right now, trying to learn how to tread water. Like mm-hmm. I was, it was like five seconds and now I'm under, like my legs are tired. I cannot yeah. egg beater any longer. Um, egg beater. <laughs> <laughs> can't do it. Um, so I think like that summer, like it wasn't like fully the experiences with my health as much as it was I had this experience and I was the happiest I had ever been. Mm. Um, like all aside from being like a young child, like my teenage years, I was not happy. I was going through a lot of things. I was experiencing being a teenager. There were all of these layers. And then suddenly for the first time I was experiencing what it meant to just really be creatively free, be physically free, um, like remember and appreciate how beautiful it means to exist in this body at this time in this like era like all of these things I think were highlighted again and I think like the background of being like you love something you love doing these things why are you waiting like what Mm -hmm. are you here waiting for was what that experience brought the clarity for but it was like all these underlying pieces that were there and finally like no you're happy and you can do this and if you survived all of that, like we can survive this now, like this right. is so, what, what a gorgeous lesson that you were able to experience during that time and then take into action and put action behind. Um, I also love that you said, you know, you decided not to pay for that last year because you were booked full. And I just love that you said that because, I think that there is this notion that we're supposed to just go along with what we've planned and and finish something that we've Mm -hmm. started. And that might all, that might not always be the case. Um, I am half Indian and I very much know the, um, dynamic that you spoke about in the beginning with your parents, especially because my dad, um, you know, he's raised in Punjab and he was very much the um, type of person you speak of in the beginning. <laughs> and so I understand the, um, the family dynamics of not necessarily knowing a creative path of not necessarily understanding, um, something. And I think if I chose to end my, um, university career, my college career, the year before I was finished with that, it would have been a really big deal in my family. Um, was it a big deal in your family? How, how was that perceived? It was my mom's whole thing has always been like, as long as you're happy, as long as you're healthy, that's what counts. Like, especially with what happened when it came to my health, um, after that first year, they were like, health Mm -hmm. is everything. Like, and like there had been moments in my life where stress has been an indicator of what happens to my health. And so obviously like for my mom has always been like, if it's stressing you out, if it's causing you poor health, like it's a no. Um, so I'm really grateful for my mom in that regard. My dad was like, how are you going to make money? How are you going to live? Mm-hmm. Um, so it wasn't as much the, I'm, I'm leaving behind a degree as much as it was, um, will you survive? What comes after this? Like, are you aware of the choice that you're making? Um, and I think because of the dynamic I have with my family where I've kind of been like, hey, I make a decision this is the decision. Oh, I Um, know that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like we're just like, where this is the decision I've made it. I'm just, I'm just letting you know, cause I care about you and I want to involve you. End of conversation. I think it was actually better than, um, it may have otherwise been in like some of my friends' families or Mm -hmm. like other dynamics. Um, but I do know that sometimes I still even feel like that idea of, you know, culturally, Oh, like, where'd you get your degree in? And like, uh, they have a degree in this. And I'm like, yeah, I spent four years at university. I, I got everything that the space had to offer. Um, and I decided to do something practical. And now I have a like great business and I, yeah. do that I do with it. So, well, yeah, I love that so much because um, 
sometimes things just don't work well for some people. And that's totally fine. And a lot of the time we have this imprint of what will work well on everyone. And that's not always the case. And I think with family dynamics, that can be really hard for, um, you know, people who've worked really hard to provide opportunity for their kids to understand. And because there is a certain framework in um, a parent's mind of this is uh, what I had in mind for you. And I really love that you, um, have found moments of power in your career, especially at a very young age where you could take that power and make a decision and say, okay, this is my decision. This is what I'm moving forward with. So when you made that decision and you were very booked, um, and coming out of university with all of these slots full, um, how did your business grow and and how did you grow creatively? Um, so I made that decision. I decided to not complete my full fourth year at the end of my third year. Mm -hmm. Um, And because I wanted to stay working at the student newspaper, you have to actually be a student working at the student newspaper. So I had to like have one more year of experience, like be in the space. Like a lot of my connections were in my university town. So I actually stayed on part-time. I just took like extra creative writing courses because I love creative writing. Um, And in that one year, it's really funny because for that year, for what my overhead expenses were, for everything that was happening, I was absolutely successful. Um, For real life and being an adult, I'm like, how did you survive (laughs) off of what you were charging and what you were making? Mm -hmm. Um, So like, again, for context, like in in the university space, like I was paying $450 a month for rent. Um, That is unheard of. Like- you're in New York. I know you know this. Yeah, like, I live in Brooklyn. Like, I live yeah. in Brooklyn. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, no, that was, it was like university town, student pricing. So I think like, I definitely got a lot of practice inside of the work that I do in that last year, like really being able to fully dive in. Um, and after leaving the university space, I actually had built um a website that was strong enough, a portfolio that was strong enough. And I actually had plans to head back out to like the West Coast towards the mountains to, again, like just work as a server for like, I was like three or four months, pay off at least some of the student debt, like, and then we'll use those savings to get a job in the field or like start doing it. Um, And so again, randomly applying to these jobs as a server, um, this time in Alberta, in the Rockies. Um, and I got a call for an interview and they were like, yeah, saw your resume, saw your application. I know you want to work in the restaurant. I actually ended up on your website. Your photography is beautiful. And we'd love to interview you instead to be a photography supervisor, uh, for the photography department at this location. So like got the job, moved out to Alberta. Oh my God. Working. Yeah. So I ended up working inside of, um, their photography team and then working directly with their marketing team. And this is like one of the major tourism uh, companies that owns a lot of the Rockies and the tourism stuff out there. Um, And so that was like my first almost like corporate real job photography connection into also understanding marketing and how it works inside Mm -hmm. of corporations too, um, along with like the content that needs to be created. So I was there for a year and um, there, it's very seasonal in the Rockies. Um, so I decided to come back um, in like December of the following year after I did 11, 10, 10 months there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, okay, December to April, I'm going to spend in the greater Toronto area. I'm going to see how things go. And then if it doesn't work out, I'll come back because that job will wait for me. Um, and if things go well, we'll see what happens and things went well. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So I didn't end up going back. And like, since then I've just been inside of full-time entrepreneurship and that was in 2018, um, 2019, my business, uh, the double J collective made over hundred K in revenue and it's been able to do that since. So for the last three years, um, yeah, it's been full-time since those those decisions and being here in the greater Toronto area. That's incredible. And I think, um, what really stands out to me about that story is your, um, willingness to just be open to an experience, to 
apply for a role that was going to be seemingly something completely different, but you've already, you had already put yourself out there through your photography and started something new. And I think that, um, idea of possibility is just gorgeous in this story because little did you know, people were paying attention to you and you weren't really anticipating that from, it sounds like, you know, applying for this role there. Um, and so I think putting yourself out there is such a gorgeous lesson in all of this, because, from what you're saying, coming back after a year and seeing how your business would evolve and see how, seeing how things would thrive. Um, you were very open to that possibility as well. Um, where does the spirit come from in you to being so open to just seeing where things land? I think that's, what's beautiful about like imagination and being flexible. I think it's like the idea of flexibility is something my mom really ingrained in me um and I think like we grew up in a like low-income household and as I grew up we moved into different socioeconomic classes but I remember like just this lesson being taught like you just gotta whatever happens you work with it and we go along with it um and I think that was kind of ingrained into the household that I grew up in um my dad also started his business when I was 10 years old and um, I just re remember a lot of that, like figuring things out together for my mom and my dad and like just being witness to a lot of that. And mm -hmm. I think that's really beautiful. Um, I think the system that we live in wants to keep us in a certain flow and really beautiful things happen when we are afforded the freedom to be able to, uh, exist beyond it. 100%. I love your answer to that question so, so much. And, you know, speaking of imagination and, and being open to the flow, I think um, your photos evoke so much imagination and so much power. Um, and I'm, you have, you definitely have like a beautiful style and a very rich style to your foot, to your photography. Where did that come from? How did you learn how to take these photos in this way? I love that you say that because there was a moment, there was a period in time in my photography when I'm like, what is my style? What are we doing here? What is it? What does it look like? Everyone else on Instagram is doing something completely different and I'm out here doing this. Oh, um, I'm obsessed with it. I really appreciate that. Um, so the other fun part to all of this, so I mentioned I worked at the student newspaper that I worked at. And um, so during different years, I was an editor for different sections. Uh, the first year I was an arts and life or a culture editor. So I did mostly writing. Um, the second year I was a photography editor. And the third year I was like the head of multimedia. Um, when I was an arts and life and culture editor and I was really getting into photography, I wasn't quite a photo editor yet. So we had like, less access to the cameras and to the equipment at the uh, like newspaper. And I remember going out one day and saying like to the photography editor, like, Hey, like, can I please take these like fall fashion photos? Like they needed it submitted. And um, there's one part where you take a picture of the specific part, like article of clothing that the person says is their favorite. Mm -hmm. And so it's like the full photo of them, which is the portrait. And then like the like close up of whatever their favorite piece is. I took this photo, super pleased with myself because it looked gorgeous. And I brought it back and we uploaded it into the newsroom. And I just remember um, this person who ended up being my friend afterwards, super sassy um, guy who looked at it and was like, what in the world is this? What are these settings? Do you know what you're doing? <laughs> because I don't think you know what you're doing. And have you ever had the experience of having a sassy gay man call you out? Who my mouth is a gape. <laughs> I was like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. What do you mean? What do you mean? I don't know what I'm doing. And you, he ripped me apart. Oh no. In that newsroom with love and sass, but I did not oh, handle but that. Still. <laughs> so my heart and my chest is like, what? Right? Um, so I like genuinely made a vow that he would never criticize my work ever again. Um, 
And I was, I'm really grateful because had he not criticized it as much as he did, I wouldn't have actively learned all the things right. that I was definitely doing wrong. He's not wrong. I was definitely doing stuff wrong. I look back <laughs> at the settings and I'm like, I understand what this person was saying. Um, but it was something that got so much better, like with practice mm-hmm. and practice and practice. Um in photography, they say it's like your first 10,000 photos until you become a photographer. Wow. <laughs> so get got those first 10,000 out of the way. I remember sometimes I'd like go into like my Lightroom catalog and see how many photos I'd imported to be like, have we reached 10,000 yet? Like, do I know? I them? love that though. Um, I love that so much because, you know, obviously that's very fearful going into a situation and having someone criticize your work in, in a way, in any way for me, I, I'm a, an emotional, vulnerable person. And I would just be like, huh. but I, I really appreciate that you said you learned from that and you were adjusting and you took it with love. And, mm-hmm. um, I, I, this whole topic of your photography and how it looks and appears and how you learned um, makes me really want to talk about how you represent people of color in your work, because I think that you do it in such a beautiful way. And that was the reason why, you know, um, Jasmine brought you up in the first place and, um, you know, this appreciation toward your work. Um, so obviously you are a woman of color and um, you are on your website. You've photographed people of color very regularly. Um, and you also have a course about creating inclusive content. So you're very committed to amplifying the voices and the faces and the businesses of people of color. So when you are, um, captivating these photos and capturing these photos of people of color, what matters most to you in this work? That's such a good question. Um, I think number one is um, not treating folks who have different cultural backgrounds, different racial backgrounds, different ethnic backgrounds, um, any differently than what is expected of the treatment for the norm. And I say norm with air quotes, Mm -hmm. um, because I think there is this icky space, even inside of content and specifically media, where it has been a very exploitative and a very um, extractive lens that creators have taken on, where they view the person in front of them, um, in front of the camera as the subject, and even like the language of being subject to, or like the subject of the film or the the photo. It's very, it's from a very colonial perspective. Oh, yes. Um, if you yeah. even think about like the first folks who had access to cameras and taking photos and creating documentaries and videos, um, it's white men who feel like they can create and tell um, a certain story um, and a certain narrative about folks of color. Um, so I think like that's the first piece is just, you know, why, why would I treat someone in a different way or use different tones? Like those, um, those microaggressions that even like other folks might, if they're not someone that is a person of color, might not even realize that they're doing when it comes to commenting on hair texture and skin and like stuff like that, that sometimes happens, um, in, in photography. And then the other thing that I think about often, and that's really important is actually true color correction. Um, And I say that's really important because if for anyone who doesn't know the context and the history of film, um, the reference for color balance and color correcting was based off of something called the Shirley card. And the Shirley card was a photo of a white woman um, up until the 1970s. And the only time Kodak actually changed, like when they developed color film, the only time they actually changed the formula to be able to pick up black and brown tones was when advertisers from furniture and chocolate companies complained that they couldn't accurately take photos of their product. So not because um, the folks and the many black and brown activists who were saying that they couldn't be photographed were saying something, but because advertisers bought film in bulk and then couldn't advertise their product and Kodak finally made a change in the 70s. That was only 50 years ago. So that makes me sick to my stomach. Wow. (laughs) 
So even in, in the photography space, like color correction, and even in digital spaces, like when you look at filters, when you think of presets, when you think of how a photographer actually edits skin tone, if you're not actually respecting skin tone, making sure you're not perpetuating colorism by brightening someone's skin way brighter than it actually is, um, lighting them accordingly, then you're still perpetuating these narratives you might not even realize inside of the visuals you're creating. So I got, I really honed into that when I realized, even in my own photos, when I would edit them in university, I didn't realize how many shades lighter I would add my face to until I was like actually addressing my own internalized beliefs and ideas. And then I would look at my photos and say, that's not my skin. Mm. Um, and how many other people would also do exactly the same thing if they ever took photos of me? And I would be like, but that's also not my skin. Right. So um, I think those are the two pieces I think of often. Yes. Oh my gosh. And thank you for that enlightening history lesson as well, because I did not know that either. And you can see in your photos, number one, just thank you for being so mindful of this and understanding that because it, as a woman of color coming to a photographer, I have had instances where I don't look like myself, um, where I, you know, and I am a light skinned, um, woman of color and, but I am still a woman of color, you know, and, and it's very important for me to look like me. Mm-hmm. And that is something that Jasmine and I discussed in our conversation as well. And just having someone be mindful of that and be aware of that, and then talk to others about how important that is, is critical because not every one of your clients is going to be the same and require the same things. And I'm sure other creatives know that, but having that reminder of just how deeply rooted and how deeply important that is, is just so critical in my mind. Um, And I also want to talk about, you know, how your clients and how the people you work with feel when they see your photos and see themselves properly, you know, represented in this beautiful, gorgeous way where you've taken that time and you've been mindful to, um, yeah, to take the time. How, how, how do, you know, the people you work with respond to your work? I am very grateful and very lucky. I feel like that I have really amazing clients. Um, They respond, I think like with a lot of that with like really the idea of like feeling seen and like truly seen. Um, And I think like that's the part that I love the most about the work that I do. I remember in university at some point in my journey of like, figuring this out I remember having another conversation with another like photojournalist and he was like you know I really want to go into these places in India and in uh like parts of Africa and like photograph these folks and really get into that like raw photojournalism stuff and I remember like I don't have the words I have the words now but I didn't have the words then and I was like but why and like why can't we just why why do we have to portray what we think is hardship or what we think are people who navigate a different world than us in such also like negative and heavy light mm-hmm. um, because his style was very like that gritty that you know high contrast I was like why can't we just like enjoy and appreciate the joy and the spark that gets to exist irrespective of where we are and the different life experiences um that are had across across this country, across uh, North America, across the world. And um, I think like that's the part that when my clients say that they see, like it's nice to reflect on now because I'm like, oh, like what I did is I just captured that joy. Mm -hmm. And I didn't put a narrative onto you. And I think that's what some people do sometimes is like they don't realize that an editing style can paint a narrative right? And editing way and colors and tones also add to the story that you're telling in this image. And if a photographer or creator has these biases, they might not even realize why they're editing a photo of someone that's a person of color differently than a photo of a white family differently. Um, And it, it creates very different narratives. And I think like 
that style and the the way that I get to do it and the way that I choose to capture folks is with that same lightness and airiness and like joy that yes. kind of um and that's what I really love about the work that I do and I think that's those are the narratives that people deserve to have of themselves oh 100% you can see it in your work and what really resonates um with me about your work and um you know the new work that you're you're creating with um your workshops about creating inclusive content is um allowing space for people to come into their power and feel in their power. And that really resonates in all of your work to me. I would love to know, when do you feel most in your power? When do I feel the most in my power? (laughs) Sorry, instinctively, I want to say on Thursdays. (laughs) (laughs) I love that answer so much. That's going to be the quote that... (laughs) just going to create a graphic that says on Thursdays. <laughs> I love it. Um, no, I feel the most in my power. I think when I'm reminded of these things, like mm. I just think um, I'll, I'll use today as an example, because, you know, yesterday I had an amazing day. I was, I did a lot of things. I did a lot of work. I felt so good about everything because um, as someone who's like very much a high achiever someone who enjoys that like me ticking off boxes and saying I did all the things like that made me feel amazing Mm -hmm. and today I definitely got stuck in a few spaces between reminders and realizing things that I just got stuck in a place of why can't things happen sooner like I'm, I'm doing all this work and I actually remember very specifically when I first started my business like I remember the place like as I was like walking towards like the bus stand to like get to the bus to go to my class I was having this conversation with my roommate at the time and I was like I'm working so hard and I can't see the results like I I, like that was like my first year of starting my business I didn't have clients I wasn't getting paid that much and I was just like it feels like I'm working and I'm working and I'm working and I'm working towards this and like for what And I was so impatient with like receiving that end result. And I see that level of impatience in me all the time. Mm. Um, That showed up today. That was like, why isn't this getting done faster? Why have I not achieved this yet? And if I actually do exactly this and take a second to be like, oh, this is where I came from. Those are all the times I worked hard. And then that was the end result. And then I worked hard on this thing. And then this was the end result. And I worked hard on this thing. And this was the end result. And it's okay. Like, slow down. You're doing great. Um, so I think when I remind myself of that, and when I come back to that, which it's not always easy. Yeah. But when I'm able to, when the people around me bring me back to that, when there are things in my life that remind me of it, I feel the most in my power because it's like, no, exactly where you need to be things are happening. Like my, one of my favorite quotes is, uh, luck is when preparation meets opportunity um, by Oprah. And, but I, I think it's by someone else, but Oprah popularized it. Um, (laughs) Yes. But, but yeah, I think it's really about recognizing like, okay, we're, we're preparing. And when opportunity comes, we will be ready. Oh, 100%. And I think, you know, white supremacy culture is teaching us this sense of urgency is all that matters. Um, And that's just simply not true. And I think um, taking that time to rest is that resistance that we need and and reflection as well. And so I really appreciate that moment of reflection that you have and and that that makes you feel powerful. Like you get power in reflecting, not in rushing or being impatient. And I just think that's absolutely gorgeous. In every episode of this show, I always ask my guests um, about their allies. So I talk about, you know, who are um, allies in your life that identify as women and um, how have they impacted you? Long pause. <laughs> Sorry, hey, just... It's fine. I love it. Um, when I think of the allies in my life, I think of it in a few different ways. Number one, to almost like 
the way that I first learned the word allies was when you're learning about World War One and World War Two and which countries were allies to each other. So um, when I think of it in that sense of like, who do I actually have that would support me at any point in time? Um, in that same way of, of allyship, I think of um, my mom, I think of my best friend, um, I think of my partner, I think of, you know, those like handful of five people that have consistently mm. showed up for me. Um, but then when I think of allies in terms of recognizing that we live in a white supremacist culture and that we need people to um, really like be allies, but also be accomplices and co-conspirators and really do action alongside with us to just acknowledge we don't live in an equitable space. Um, that's where I actually think of um, the other folks who have even like social capital who mm. share my name in places where I am not. So just like, you know, Jasmine being in this space and sharing my name in a space that I was not in. Um, I, there is one um, influencer, human friend that um, I met, um, Sarah Nicole Laundry, who is a wonderful human. And I consider her both a friend and an ally who recommends me and brings me up in spaces where I am not and uses her social capital in that way. Um, and I think that kind of goes for like a lot of the people in my network that I've been really grateful to connect with. And like, they do that for me and I also happily do the same for them. Um, so I, I think of those folks who are also my allies, um, I think that's where the list ends. <laughs> yeah. No, I think that was gorgeous. And, um, I love, love the, um, the statement around people who mention you when you're not there, because that is just so powerful to have those people in your arsenal and to have those moments pop up. I've certainly had that pop up for me. And, um, I also love, um, your relationship with your mother because she's come up quite a bit during this conversation. And it seems like it's such a powerful relationship and one that has influenced you deeply. And um, so thank you for sharing uh, about those instances. So as you're looking toward the future and you're looking toward you know the future of your company and these new offerings that you are presenting, what is coming down the pipeline for you and what gets you excited? Ooh. I'm really excited about this new wave of creators. Like I'm really excited for the lack of gatekeepers to telling stories, to sharing media, to advertising, to marketing, to representation. Like there just are so, so many less gatekeepers. Um, and I think companies, brands, and spaces are recognizing that the power really is in the creators and creators do have that autonomy and the ability to do that. So I'm really excited about that new wave um, of creators, of storytellers. Um, I'm really excited to see where that industry goes because I think visuals, like they've always had an incredible amount of power, but even the ability to create strong visuals, like I had to save up for months at my job at McDonald's as a 15 year old to get my first camera. Yeah. Um, 15 year olds today who have access to an iPhone um, have very similar technology in their hands to tell and create stories that would have maybe taken months to be able to financially afford um, 10 years ago, not to say that everyone can afford a smartphone and a, phone of course. And a camera, but it, there's just so much more access. Right. So the I'm access really is different. About, yeah. yeah. I'm really excited about that. I'm really excited about also being an educator in that space. I think when you're a young person with access to new technology, you forget that there's history and <laughs> that there's context. Um, and like, I was in the space when we were going from like analog to digital. And I was like, this is silly. Who needs to learn about the history of analog? And like, my perspective now is obviously very different where it's like actually understanding the origins, the history, the ways uh, oppression even shows up inside of creation and, and the industry um, helps us prevent perpetuating it again in modern tools. Mm -hmm. So 
I'm also really looking forward to having that be a part of the consciousness of creators in this next generation. Beautifully said. And I 100% agree. I think that is phenomenal and I'm excited for that too. So as we're coming up on our time together, which I can't believe, um, this has a flowed also yep yapping. So thank you all for listening and for <laughs> holding this space. Hey, that's what, that's what we're here for. Um, where can people find you if they'd like to work with you? Um, I would love to just shout your name from the rooftops and show everyone your photos and everything. So where can people find you? You can find me on the internet. Um, Great. On, <laughs> yeah, I'm there. Um, on Instagram, my handle is just ask Jenny. So J-U-S-T-A-S-K-J-E-N-N-Y. Um, and if you want to get in touch or work together, uh, you can do so on my website, which is Jenny J, uh, Beautiful. Beautiful. And we'll have all of this information in the show notes as well. So people can find you and work with you. Um, Jenny, I am just so grateful for your time today. Thank you for telling us your incredible story and for sharing, um, just so many meaningful things with us today. And, and it was just such a pleasure learning more about you and your story and your work and your values. So, um, thank you for being here. And thank you for reminding me of why I love what I'm doing and how far I've come without like, I think these moments um, of reflection, even in conversation, I think it can be really easy to forget in the day to day. So I appreciate being here. I appreciate everyone that's listening. And thank you, Christina, for hosting. Oh, my gosh an honor. Um, and for our listeners, thank you for being here. Thank you for listening. Please never forget your story matters and you matter. And we'll see you on the next episode of growing woman. Thanks everyone. Growing women podcast is an amplify her media production. Amplify Her Media is a media company dedicated to amplifying and uplifting women's voices and stories. Follow along for more stories at AmplifyHerMedia.com.